Alright guys, Nate you are excited, I can tell, yeah, I've got a fantastic message for you guys, oh my throat, it's getting so much better as I talk, I can tell, tonight we're going to be talking, I'm going to be talking to you guys about athletes, now all of you might say, I'm not the most athletic person in the world. I don't consider myself an athlete. But tonight we're going to be talking about races going through and uh, that you're actually an athlete, no matter what. And we're talking, this message is very good. Last week we had our move message, and this one relates very well to it. Uh, Because what do athletes do? Athletes move a lot. If an athlete stands still, they don't do anything, they will lose. So that's what we're going to be talking about is the race that you run how you're running it as an athlete. I've got four different types of athletes for you guys, which I will relate to actual athletes, which I will relate to somebody in the Bible that reflects that athlete. So it's pretty good. The four different types of athletes. The first one that I'll be talking about is D. Brown. Now, D. Brown was a... uh, He played for the University of Illinois. Some of you might know who D. Brown is. I don't know. A few years ago, they had that amazing team that went like 37-2, and two, almost won the championship, lost by like five points. It was very depressing. But D. Brown, is a, he was a very respectable college athlete. That's what I'm trying to get across is that he averaged 13 points. He had his, uh, the highest uh, steals in the entire in college, 1.6 steals a game. Uh, assists, he was second highest with 4.5. Uh, only Darren Williams, his teammate, actually was higher than that. So D. Brown was not a bad athlete. He was very, he was very short, but very fast. He was only about six foot, respectively. That might be giving him like with his shoes on. Very short. So he was a starter in college. He's really good. You know, he averaged all this. Yeah, that's great. And then he went to the NBA which where his uh, stats dropped significantly. Uh, he now averaged 1.9 points a game in the games that he played in. Very rarely did he get to play a game. 0.4 steals a game. A lot lower than his other average. 1.7 assists per game. So obviously, as we can see, when he moved, maybe this wasn't what he was supposed to be doing. Yeah, he was a good athlete, but could he have been doing something else? And that's where D. Brown's very interesting because he had all these breakout moments in college. If you, ever, uh, if you ever watched him, like I said, they almost won that championship. I, I still remember the game. He had eight three-pointers, which is impressive. 
and which is where his actual uh, he has a really famous picture taken of him with his jersey like up over his head and uh, I still remember playing in junior high and the refs warning us to not do like D Brown so D Brown had this little like like famous like moment of his uh, so he wasn't bad he had all these breakout games he almost won the championship uh, I still remember the game to get to the championship when they were down by 13 to Arizona and they stormed back to win it was still one of the best basketball games I've ever seen in my entire life. But there's another part of D. Brown that I didn't even know about until I actually started looking up stuff on him. Out of his class of 342 students that he was majoring in, uh, I don't know what he was majoring in, but he was actually 16th in his class. He was smart. I mean, this is obviously university, not high school or junior high. 16 out of 342 this is the part where I question is did he choose the right way I mean he obviously he had a future going for him he's a he's a smart kid and he chose basketball and he has not made a significant benefit on any team he's played for uh, he plays for the Utah Jazz if you were wondering and uh, his teammate Darren Williams who played for Illinois actually is now kind of overshadowing him as uh, the Utah Jazz star I mean, he just, he's broken out, and D. Brown just hasn't caught up. He doesn't have what it takes. He's not big enough. He's not strong enough. But, yeah, he chose that route because I think that's what he wanted to do. But that's my point is that could he have actually done something else? Yes, he was a star in college, but not anymore. So this is where the what-if question comes in. I mean, what if he, had, he would have had a different point of view, and he would have been like, you know, basketball, it was a good time. And I did good. He had his moments. He almost had the championship. But what if he wasn't playing basketball now? And this reminds me a lot. A lot of these uh, things that I'm going to refer to, uh, you're probably going to say, what does that mean? I mean, who, how does he possibly relate them to each other? But don't worry about it. It's all going to make sense. This reminds me a lot of the rich young man that's in Matthew. I've read this story a thousand times. And I've heard it uh, referred to a thousand different ways, probably. And immediately when I thought of this, I thought of this rich young man. Uh, Matthew 19, if you were wondering, 16 through 22. This is, of course, a, a young man walking up to Jesus. And uh, he asks him, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you, want to, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What still do I lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give, the, give to the poor, and you'll, be, you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away because he had great wealth. You might say, all right, D. Brown, this rich young man, what does that have to do with anything? But what I see about it is D. Brown had two paths he could choose from. He had his basketball and his hopes, just that what he wanted. Then he had this other path where he was like, he's smart. He could choose this path, but I don't think it was quite as fun. And so you see this rich young man with the same exact choice. He's got all this wealth on one hand, and uh, he comes up to Jesus. Yeah, I've kept all these commandments, except for the one that he wanted to keep, which was his wealth. 
And so he has this right way and this wrong way. D. Brown had this way, he had this way. And I personally, I think that he chose the wrong way. Uh, it's that what if, what could D. Brown be doing right now? He could be an athlete on the side, but he could have been doing so much more. Just like this rich young man, he could have sold all of his possessions, and what if he would have? What if there was another story later in the Bible that would have spoke about this rich young man that actually sold all of his possessions, and what do you think could have come out of it? But the point is, nobody knows. Nobody knows what could have happened uh, with D. Brown or with this rich young man because it never took place. What they needed to do to get past themselves, they never did. This is where pride, this is what comes in here. So are you doing what you want, or do you know what you need to do and you're not doing it? Uh, pride, this is the factor. These, two, these first two that I'm talking about, actually a lot of these people that I'm talking about, pride comes in big on all of these. Uh, he didn't get over himself, as you can see. Uh, he chose his own way, and who knows, he's actually... If you're interested, in, D. Brown is actually playing in Europe right now. He's not even playing in the United States. So he totally, he's gotten away from the United States. And I mean, he's just over there playing now. So all these different things, it's like, what if he wasn't doing that? I mean, I just, I, I didn't totally lost track of him. I don't know where he went. Just like this rich young man, he probably got lost. And who knows where he's, where he even went after this. I mean, he went away and he was really sad. But nobody knows what happened to him after that. So since we're talking about a race and about athletes, I've got a few different verses that I'm relating to. There's a, the Bible talks a lot about races, running races, uh, being an athlete, really. Uh, in Galatians comes the first one that I looked at. Uh, Galatians 5, 7, actually. It describes this athlete, but it also describes the next athlete that I'm going to talk about. Actually, 5, verse 7. <coughs> And it says, you were running superbly. Who cut in on you, deflecting you from the two course of obedience? So we can see a disrupted athlete here. He was running a good race. D. Brown, he had a, he obviously he had this education on the side because he was really smart. And so he was running this race, and I think pride cut in, and he wanted what he thought was going to make him happy and what he thought he was going to be good at. But we see a completely different story. Uh just never made a significant impact. It's totally lost now. We don't even know what happened to either of these guys. So this is an athlete that God cannot use. Uh, just pride, running your own race. God can't do things in your life, and God can't move you when you're moving your own way. We always talk about movement. but we, uh, The main thing is that you can move in the opposite direction. It's still movement. Uh, athletes are always running, always moving. And you're an athlete, and you don't, and technically, even if you're not a Christian, you're still running a race. It might not be towards God, though. This is an athlete that God cannot use. So next athlete, this is also the verse I'm going to use for him, is that you were running a superb race, and you kind of fell behind. And this is going to come with that what-if factor. What if this guy that I'm going to talk about wouldn't have been the way he was? The athlete I'm talking about here is Wilt Chamberlain. Does anybody know who Wilt Chamberlain is? Maybe one or two people. Well, if you didn't know, he's debatably the best NBA player of all time. So it's really interesting that you guys might not have heard of him. Everybody knows about Michael Jordan, right? And everyone say, yeah, he's probably the most famous, and the best basketball player ever. But Will Chamberlain has got a lot of stats and a lot of things interesting about him that Michael Jordan can't even get close to. 
You might say, what could he have possibly done that Michael Jordan didn't do, right? How about score 100 points in a game? The only person on the face of the planet to ever achieve this. Uh, the only thing that exists, though, unfortunately, is this photo. I mean, there's no video documentation of it, but there is a radio recording of it if you're interested, and the books do match up with his points. So this man scored 100 points in a game. Michael Jordan, highest Michael Jordan ever scored in one game, 69 points. Didn't even make it in the 70s. Kobe Bryant, 81 points, really close, but not quite there. So nobody's even come close to this one. So none of this, he actually holds 54 NBA records. That probably will never be broken. I mean, because, I mean, the game is different from now and then, but it's pretty impressive nonetheless what he did. There was one season that he had, he really broke out from uh, 61 to 62, where he averaged 50 points a game and 25 rebounds a game, which if you guys didn't know that is unfathomable. <laughs> really, nowadays, 17 points averaging, or maybe about 30 points is a really good average for a season. Maybe 15 or 16 rebounds is really, really hustling. And uh, 50 and 25, he actually had seven 50-point games in a row. Never been touched, even, not, even, not even close. I think two 50-point games back-to-back is the closest to that. There's a really interesting statistic also in basketball, and they call them uh, There's a lot of different names. Have you ever heard of a double-double? Anybody ever heard of that? It's when you get double the, like, uh, your points get in the double digits as well as your rebounds get in the double digits. So you get 10 points, 10 rebounds, you have a double-double. Now, where it gets really confusing is if you get three stats that are in the double digits, then you have a triple-double. Well, then, what if you get 20 points and 20 rebounds? That would call a double-double-double because you've gotten 10 points twice and they're in the double digits. So that's a double-double-double. Now, Wilt Chamberlain has the only ever, let me get this right, triple-double-double. He scored 22 points, 25 rebounds, and 21 assists in one game. So he's got a double-triple-double. Yes, a double-triple-double. He also has the only ever quadruple-double in which is it was 45 points and 42 rebounds. So nobody's ever come close to that either. Now, but was he the best? The best ever? He has 78 triple-doubles recorded because sometimes, I guess, apparently he passed the ball and got assists every once in a while. But he's not the, he's by far not the best all-around player. Oscar Robertson actually holds the record for 181 triple-doubles. So nearly twice as, or that is over twice as much. So... Obviously, he wasn't the best all-around player. Another really amazing thing that I found out that I did not know is that he never fouled out of a game, ever. 14 seasons, not one game did he foul out of. Nobody has ever come close to that. I played in junior high, and I fouled out of games. I mean, my goodness, that's amazing. He also holds the record for the most rebounds in one game, 55 rebounds in one game. And his opponent was the Celtics. If you guys didn't know this either, his rival was Bill Russell. I mean, they were friends off the court, but on the court, man, this is who he really liked to face up against. And that's who he got these 55 rebounds against. 
And the really interesting thing is, Will Chamberlain has two rings. Two rings for winning championships. Bill Russell, on the other hand, has 11 rings. He's known as a man with more rings than fingers. I mean, I've, you see pictures of him holding all of his rings, and he just can't wear them on all of his fingers because he's got so many. But yet, Will Chamberlain has all these different stats, stuff that's never been touched, all these records. But I think, if anything, he would have rather had the rings because that's something you can really show. And, I mean, Bill Russell is going to be able to say, I have 11 rings, <laughs> and he's only got two. So he's great, no doubt. He's really, really a superb athlete. Some people would call him a freak indeed because just the things that he's done are unheard of and unmatched. He's also caused more changes in the NBA than any other player, though. So many rules were implemented because they didn't have rules against standing in the lane for so long. Uh, if, if you didn't know, that is a rule. You can't stay in the lane for more than three seconds. But he was basically a tree and would just stand down there, get the ball, go up with it. Nobody could stop him. I mean, when you're seven foot two and like 275, 300 pounds, there's not much people can do against you. But who was he surrounded by? That's a good question. He jumped off of teams so many different times. I think he played for he played for the Harlan Globetrotters for a little while and for like five NBA teams. So he jumped around a lot. And so he only won two rings though. But he was so good. But who was around him? Bill Russell played with more than five Hall of Famers. Obviously people who made it into the Hall of Fame who were good. Bill Ru and uh, Will Chamberlain played with no Hall of Famers. This guy was a one-man team. He had to do it all by himself. Uh, he didn't really have anybody else to turn to. People always say, obviously, Bill Russell was the better one because he won more. Will Chamberlain, yeah, he was good, but he didn't win as much, so he's obviously not as good. And then the debate comes up, what if they switch teams? Who was he surrounded by then? Hall of Famers? I mean, he would have won more than 11 rings then, probably. But more or less, he was a one-man show. I mean, he did things nobody else could do, but he didn't have much to show for it at the end because he only had those two rings. So you can't do it all by yourself. That's what Will Chamberlain shows. So who, you might say, who is he going to relate this to? Well, who I see, I see Samson, and I see a lot of Samson in this. Like Wilt, he was ahead of everybody else in so many different categories. I mean, his strength was unmatched before a sense, just like Will, Wilt, not Will. Before a sense, nobody's touched or done any of the things heard of that Samson did. Some of the crazy stuff, just like Wilt, in Judges 14.6, he tears a lion apart with his hands. I mean, that's unheard of. I mean, nobody has ever done that before or since. At least I've never heard of it. There's a lot of really interesting stories about Samson. What about the riddle with the Philistines? He told them this riddle, and they needed to figure it out. You go through, and you read, and you read, and basically his wife ends up ratting him out and getting the riddle out of him. And so then, to pay up, he needs 30 robes or skins from to pay up for what he uh, like they figured out his riddle. So he goes down, and he kills 30 guys, takes their stuff, and then turns it in. Just a really weird story about how he did all this. In 15.5, he kills a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. Absolutely outrageous. Nobody has ever done that before since. I'm sure of that one. In 16.3, he's trapped in a city with men uh, sleeping outside the gates. And so what does he do? He takes the gates, 
pulls them up out of their out of the ground, carries them up onto a hill, and drops them, and escapes, taking leaving the city by picking up the gates. And then probably my favorite of all of the stories, which I still do not understand, is when he catches 300 pairs of foxes, ties the foxes' tails together with a, a torch in between them, and sets them out into the wheat fields to destroy his enemies' fields. My favorite by far. So all of this weird stuff that he does, but nobody's done it before or since, and you think, well, yeah, that's pretty good, right? But then we go even like more in-depth into his life, and that what happens is that he falls to temptation a lot. And that's what I see about Samson, is that very easily, in fact, he toys with it, and then he ends up falling. And I think it's because he tried to deal with it with him, by himself, just like Wilt. I mean, he had to do it like on his own because nobody else would. And Samson thought, well, look at me. I mean, look at all this stuff that I did. If you actually read, obviously God gave him these gifts, but he used them for getting back at his enemies and is really trying to do a lot of things on his own. When he's tempted, he deals with it in his own way. A lot of deceit and uh, lying, really. So Samson couldn't face these by himself. And uh, we see another side of Samson, kind of like what I was talking about with D. Brown, actually. And that when Samson turns to God for help, instead of falling, like he so often uh, gets his eyes gouged out, can't see any longer, and he's chained in between these pillars because he tried doing stuff on his own. This is where pride, pride jumps in again right here. This time, just like the just like the rich young man, we don't have to wonder what if. We actually get to see what happens. And that uh, when he turns and sees what God's going to do, this is where Samson is a really sad story. And that uh, until the end of Samson's life, we actually get to see him turn and ask God for help. And that, like I said, he's chained in between these two pillars, and he calls out to God finally. I mean, this is, he's at the end of his life. He doesn't have his eyes anymore. And uh, he's basically just being mocked by the, all of these Philistines, his enemies. And he turns to God, and he's, he just asks him, if I can have one more, like, burst of strength, and then just, I'll, I'll die, but I just want one more chance at this. So obviously he kills all these Philistines by bringing down the temple. He kills more people at this one, well, this one event here than in his entire life. So obviously when he asked God for help, he accomplished a lot more than he did on his own. So this what-if question, what if Samson wouldn't have been so arrogant? What if this pride wouldn't have come in? Just like Wilt, if he would have had some more people on his team that could actually play with a hoot besides himself, just trying to do everything, that how much more could he have actually done? This is an athlete, I think, that God is limited in using, very limited, and that when you try and uh, do things on your own, I think that you will achieve some things. But when you're really only giving, when you're only turning to God for help when you think you need it, that's limited, very limited. If you turn to God for every single opportunity that you could possibly get, then man, who knows what could happen. But we see this what if here. And we know that, now we actually know, we don't have to ask what if, we know that if he would have been more dependent on God, that great things would have happened. And not just getting back at his enemies. But that's where Samson ends, and that's where this athlete ends, 
they just turn around and start running the right way, and the race is over. They didn't make it very far. This leads to our third athlete, and this is the same verse. Actually, this will have a new verse. That was the same exact verse that he was running a superb race, but somebody cut in, and that was pride we were talking about. My next athlete is one that I doubt many of you have heard of. I actually was, uh, I did some research on him. He's a very interesting athlete. His name is Reggie Love. Yeah, Reggie Love. I don't know if any of you guys ever heard of him. Probably not. He played for Duke, actually. He played basketball in the years 01 and 02. Then his really, he's got a really, really interesting story in that he was always a role player. And that he never start. He didn't start many games. He was kind of like that backup where your starter is getting tired and you have to pull him. And this is the guy you could depend on for those crucial minutes of a game. He could come in and maybe shut down that player. He was a uh, six foot four, two twenty five. He was a very well built athlete. I mean, he was very strong but very fast. Not too tall, not too short, not too big. Just perfect for what they wanted him for. So he leaves college. Uh, with his business degree, actually. He's, and then he, uh, he goes, actually, to play professional football. He also played football at Duke for a little while. But he leaves to play football. And he actually gets cut from the Green Bay Packers. And then he goes to trial for the Cowboys. Really interesting story, actually. And that he was trying to be a cornerback. I'm not even going to explain that, but that's what he was trying to be. And he made it past the first cut. So he beats the first group of guys. He passes the second cut in their camp, so he's getting really close. The final cut, he gets dropped. So he makes it this close to being the starter on the Cowboys and making it to their final cut, and then he gets cut. And so he goes back to Duke to get another degree, and he's still eligible to play basketball. Really interesting story. In 04 to 05, he plays basketball. Again, he's a really good role player. He doesn't start many games, but he gets you those crucial minutes. So he was always a good role player. That's what I really like about him, is that he was never a big star. Obviously, we see he went away and he tried to be, but he kind of fell short every single time because he wasn't meant to be that breakout, that star player. He was meant to be a role player, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, as we're going to see. So instead of breakout games, he had breakout minutes that people always overlook. I mean, Michael Jordan, as like he'll be my last athlete, and everybody looks at him as breakout games, but nobody looks at those players on his team that had breakout minutes that helped him win those games. So keep that in mind that role players, just like Will Chamberlain, didn't have any, couldn't do that much, that they're important. So he could have gone on to be successful at business or, or at uh, football or basketball. He could have been remotely successful. Like I said, he could have probably been a backup and he would have gotten his time and every now and then, who knows. But what did he actually choose to do? He went off and went and got into politics, which is really interesting. I mean, he's this athlete, big guy, and now he's actually, uh, he's kind of the wingman, or Barack Obama calls him. He's kind of his right-hand man, kind of keeps him on schedule for his meetings and stuff, gets his stuff ready, keeps him on a workout schedule. So he's still playing this role-player act, but in politics. Really, really weird. But he's good at it. That's the, that's the reason that he's doing so good is because he's not taking the lead, is that he's being this role player. So who does this remind me of? It reminds me a lot of Paul. And that's going to be... It's also it's kind of like a radical difference. 
but it, it, the, it's kind of that same point in that he was doing something that he was successful at, and then he changed, and it was a lot more success in this one. We know how Paul starts out persecuting Christians, dragging them out of their houses, imprisoning them, and in kind of a warped, twisted way, just like Reggie, he was good at it. Like, he was good at persecuting Christians, which is kind of, it's far-fetched, but that's really what it was, that he could have kept on persecuting Christians because he was really good at it. And then we see this change at the Damascus Road, and he, it's always, and it was for the better, obviously, than persecuting Christians, that God actually gets to use him in a lot of awesome ways. But he's finally doing what he's supposed to do. That's my point. And that now we see his pride is out of the way, He's not trying to be that breakout player and that he realizes what he's supposed to be doing. So we see Paul is not really a big, like, breakout guy. He's always kind of pointing to others and helping others, if you read through. And we see him break out with a lot of stuff, like that he, he has written most of the New Testament. I mean, the majority of it is written by him, I mean, besides from the Gospels. But he's written a lot in there. So unlike these first two athletes that we talked about, this one doesn't have pride in the way. And you'll see a lot of differences of what can happen to an athlete when pride's not in the way. So writing a huge chunk of the New Testament, all of these different missions trips that he went on, these mission trips were really crucial too. They came within a certain point in history. That's what's even more fascinating, that Western Civ, the only thing interesting that I took from that class was the Pax Romana. Anybody know what the Pax Romana is? It was a very short period while the Romans had conquered basically the known world in that there was peace and there was a very large section of the earth that had peace and it just so happens that Jesus came within this time and it just so happens that Paul changed into this role playing model and it just so happens that Paul could go wherever he wanted on the shore because the Romans controlled all of it so we see Paul gets to go here because the Romans control it and Paul gets to go here because the Romans control it. And that's a very, very, like, when people talk about, like, you know, Jesus, yeah, that's great. But they don't look at, it just so happens that he came at this time when there was peace for 200 years. And so all of this movement gets to take place. And we see the church start, essentially, with Paul. So kind of it's kind of dramatic in that he gets to start out the church. And the church starts to spread because of this peace that was going on. But basically, Paul, he had to walk thousands of miles on foot uh, by the, a donkey. He rode on the ship. We see he's shipwrecked several times. But look at what can happen. There's no pride in the way. Paul was doing this not for himself. I mean, he realized, you know, Jesus just came before him. He sees Jesus, and Jesus is like, I want you helping me. And Paul was okay with that. He wasn't the head man. He was a role player helping out and getting Jesus' message across. So there's no more wondering, like D. Brown, what could have happened. And there's no regret, like Samson. All we see is things getting accomplished. And the only thing that's different between this athlete and the next one is the role-playing and the lead. So this is a role-playing part that we get to see. And there's plenty of places in Scripture where you can go through and you can see people who are meant to be role-players and that's why they were successful, is because they were role-playing. And a very, very good verse to describe this type of athlete can be found in 1 Corinthians 
9.24. So here we see, <coughs> you've all been to the stadium seen the athletes race. That's why I like the message version. uses the word athletes. Everyone, wa- everyone runs, one wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. So this is the athlete that we see here. Is that an athlete that God gets to use? Uh, finally, we saw an athlete that God can't use. We saw an athlete that God can't use that well only because they won't let him. And here we get to see an athlete that is okay with not being in control and actually getting to be a role player. And we see stuff gets accomplished when you're a role player. You don't have to be in charge all the time. The final athlete that I'm going to be talking about tonight. Now, this is a very moving athlete. He's very different than all of the other ones. You might have, I already spoiled it for you, but you might have known who I was going to talk about just from the intro of the song that we played. Who thought of Michael Jordan when the song played? A lot of people think of Michael Jordan when that song plays. Here, there you go. But <laughs> a lot of different, man, Michael Jordan, I talked to, talk about him for a long time. So interesting. He's one of the most, re- he's the most recognized athlete in history. I think everybody here can say, Michael Jordan, yeah, I know who Michael Jordan is. It's not, you know, you have to bust your brain trying to think of who that is. I think I looked it up, and he's the third most recognized face in the world behind, you ready for this? I think it was Ronald McDonald, the number one recognized face in the world. It's really sad. And I think Santa Claus is actually more recognized. Well, Michael Jordan's right up there. Man, he is recognized everywhere throughout the world. He didn't play overseas or anything like that, but he's very recognized. Look at that. He's a beast. Just looking at that, you know he had to be good. So here we see Michael Jordan, and he's debatable to be the best, and maybe not the best athlete of all time, but the best basketball player of all time. He never beat a lot of Wilt's records, as we're going to look at. But why is he considered the best then? Well, he does beat Will in a few Wilt in a few categories. Wilt averaged 31.3 points over his career. Michael Jordan, on the other hand, scored a little bit over 33. It's actually Guinness Book of World Records, NBA highest scoring average ever. So well, that's what comes to with Michael Jordan that I love is consistency. I love consistency. <laughs> and this is a really crazy stat. Michael Jordan was, he holds the record for the most consistent double-digit point games ever. Anybody want to guess how many games he played? Consistency. Now, this is not, like, if he got sick and missed a game, that wouldn't have been consistent because he didn't play in that game. This is the number of playing in games, scoring in double digits, ever. Anybody want to guess? You're either going to go, this is one of those stats where you either go way over or you go way under. 84? 77? How many? Anybody other guesses? Anybody brave enough? 500, you said? Right, that's a good one. Well, here, to kind of prelude it, the next highest to him is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He holds the point, the point record in the NBA for the most ever scored. He's the closest to him with 778. So Michael Jordan's above that. Now do you want to try guessing? (laughs) 
Oh, my goodness. Michael Jordan scored in the double digits in 842 consecutive games. This guy's bad night was better than most guys' good nights. I mean, my goodness, he was never sucked it up. I think there was one. I do have it here. And he played over 1,100 games for the Bulls. And in all of those games, there was one night where he got eight points. It was in April. I don't know what year it was. But there was one game where he didn't score in double digits in his career as a Bull. In over 1,100 games, that is untouched, unfathomable. Nowadays, like, man, you see superstars. Kobe Bryant, he's compared to Michael Jordan. I've seen seven or eight-point games every other night with them. They have bad, bad nights. Michael Jordan does not have bad nights. (laughs) He has Michael Jordan nights, whatever that is. So like I said, missed one game playing as a bull. He's got six rings, so he's got a pretty decent amount there. But he's not the best in every field either, just like Wilt. He wasn't the best. He was best at some things, some other things he just wasn't. Um, Michael Jordan only records 30 triple-doubles, which that's not too bad. But he actually almost leads in double-doubles. He's very close, but he's not the leader in double-doubles either. And like I said before, only 69 points was his highest in a game. Wilt beats him. Kobe Bryant beats him. A couple other people beat him for having a higher actual game. And then this is the part I love Michael Jordan is that he also has those breakout not necessarily moments or necessarily games, but kind of both. He's so crazy. And he has different things that he does that just blow your mind. A few of my favorite stories about Michael Jordan. The one, he was playing against Dikembe Mutombo. I doubt you guys know who that is. He's like 45,000 years old, and he's still playing in the NBA. And there was a game that Michael Jordan was playing against him, and man, Michael Jordan just kept rattling off these points on him. And Dikembe is talking trash at one part, and they're shooting. In Michael Jordan is shooting free throws, and Dikembe says something, and Michael Jordan lines up, and he's like, "Dikembe, this one's for you." Closes his eyes, shoots the free throw, and walks back and opens his eyes as the ball goes through the net. It was insane. So these crazy like moments where it's like, "I'm so good." And I can talk crap if I want because I back it up. Another, they also say it's one of the most overplayed moments in the NBA. When he shoots 100% from the three-point line in the first half of a game, he shoots six threes, just rattling them off. One, two, three, four, five, six in the half. Perfect. I mean, he made more points than that. But he has an infamous shoulder shrug that he does as he walks down the court like he just doesn't know how the ball keeps going in. Like, he's just so, he's that good. And people say, yeah, that's really overplayed, but nobody else is really, like, I mean, he just had this swagger about him where it's just like, he's so good, and he just does these things that you don't know how he does them. And probably my favorite story of all of the stories is he was playing the Utah Jazz. If anybody knows the Utah Jazz back in the day, they had John Stockton and Carl Malone, the mailman, delivery man, whatever you want to call him. But there was one part where Michael Jordan goes and he dunks on John Stockton, who was a shorter white guy. You know, that wasn't too impressive, basically. And that, he, I mean, he's dunked over bigger guys than that. And as he's walking back, their coach yells at Michael Jordan and says, dunk on somebody your own size. 
And Michael Jordan looks over at him. like He's like, all right. And he's like, I hear you over there. And so he kind of walks back, gets the ball. Next time down the court, Carl Malone, who's a big guy, center, dunks on him. And so he turns to the coach and says, is he big enough? So another one of those moments where it's just like, man, he backed up what he had to, what he did, he backed it up all the way. So who does he relate to? I know what you're going to say. I can't believe he's just going to use Jesus probably. (laughs) But I'm not going to use Jesus. I'm not using Jesus. Because, uh, believe it or not, he doesn't match up to Jesus. You might say, wait, he's the best, right? But Michael Jordan was not perfect. That's why I can't relate him to him. Yes, he was the best, but he wasn't perfect. Very far in between. And uh, there's a lot of other athletes that don't come quite as close as him. But it's just not the same. So he was the best, but he wasn't perfect. He lost games. I mean, he lost a lot of games here and there. And he missed game-winning shots. I mean, you see a lot of game-winning shots that he shoots, but if you look up missed shots, man, there's just as many where the buzzer is going down and he misses a shot. I mean, everyone always remembers those ones that you make, but people could like to forget those ones that you don't make. So who does he remind me of? Hmm. I thought of Jesus. That would have been my scapegoat if I couldn't have thought of anything else. But he reminds me a lot of Daniel. I've been reading a lot about Daniel lately, and I've been reading through it, and he's a very, very interesting character. He reminds me of Michael Jordan because he came out of nowhere. Michael Jordan was a, he was the third pick in the draft, which is respectable. I mean, there's a lot of uh, controversy about what if he would have been picked number one, and he wouldn't have played for the Bulls, and what would have happened, and the Trailblazers would have been the best team in the 90s. But he wasn't. People thought other people would be better than him. Uh... Elijah Wan, that's his name. Uh, He was picked before Michael Jordan, and he still turned out to be good, but he didn't turn out to be Michael Jordan. Same thing I see with Daniel. Other people are kind of brought in before him. He's kind of just one in a bunch, and we kind of see him break out. From all of the other ones, he steps aside, and he's... He doesn't talk trash necessarily like Michael Jordan, but you can see a significant difference between him and the others that he separates himself not by showing off, but kind of just doing his job. And so instead of showing off, he kind of lets his actions speak for himself. Michael Jordan, yeah, he did trash talk sometimes, but a lot of times what he did really spoke for itself. I mean, there's a lot of games where he didn't talk crap, and uh, they still came out and they ended up winning the game and all of his championships that he has stacked up, all these different things. So the one thing that I also love about Michael Jordan and Daniel is that when the spotlight is on and, like, the pressure is on, man, he comes out every single time with the answer. Michael Jordan holds more playoff and finals records than anybody else ever recorded, more than Wilt, more than Oscar Robertson, and uh, all the other guys that I talked about. When it really counts and he gets in those playoffs, he knows what to do. In all six of his finals that they made it to, he was the MVP. So that means he was the most valuable player when it got into these situations. And it's kind of where we see Daniel and that the spotlight's put on him. There's visions and there's dreams that need to be interpreted and people turn to Daniel because nobody else can do it. So all these different records that Michael Jordan holds, he holds all these shooting percentages. Even in the All-Star games, he holds more percentage shooting like behind the arc and free throws, all these different things. He holds all of them. 
And so all these moments where it's like the spotlight's on, even when the pressure isn't necessarily on, he still does better than everybody else. But another thing, besides consistency, which I'll talk about after, we see this humbleness about Daniel, and that Daniel couldn't interpret everything. We see later on in Daniel where he has visions and dreams, and he doesn't know what to do because he can't interpret them. And instead of, I've always thought about Daniel in that, what if he couldn't get over himself and he didn't want these dreams interpreted because he couldn't do it? Now, these are a lot of, if you go through there, there are a lot of really interesting dreams and visions that are really vital to like end times and that we still probably don't entirely know what they mean. But he had to turn to other people and say, I need help because I don't know what I'm doing here. Like I had this dream, but I don't know how to interpret it. And that's where I see Michael Jordan. I talked about role players. There was a lot of role players on all of these championship teams. You have Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and Coach and all these different guys where in clutch situations, and Michael Jordan couldn't pick up all the slack, he knew he could turn to these guys, and he was like, if I put the ball in your hands or if I, you know, draw this double team and you're open, you better hit that shot, all right? That's all I'm saying. And the people always came through because he trusted them. And Daniel got over himself, just like Michael Jordan Instead of, he could have taken every shot, kind of like the Wilt Chamberlain kind of, I'm really big, so I'm going to take every shot, and we might win the game, but we might lose the game too. But he gave up at the ball, just like Daniel kind of passes the ball into the other guys, and he's like, I really need some help with this. And my favorite part about Daniel that I read it over and over and over again is the consistency. I talked about Michael Jordan. Man, he's mind-blowing with all these games that he played, and he never missed anything. My goodness. And then I read Daniel. And I see where it talks about him praying consistently three times per day. And that every single day he goes, and he's like, this is something that I need to do. So he does it. And I've been thinking about this a lot. We've been talking about moving. And I always think I'm doing so good. And I'm like, man, I've been reading my Bible really consistently. I've been praying, and I'm so good. And then I look at this, and I'm like, wow, I have a lot of ways to go. I haven't moved entirely like, I'm not done yet. I'm still running this race. So it's kind of, it's depressing, but you really, I can tell that I'm moving, which is exciting, but there's always room for improvement. Michael Jordan, when he came into the league, you see him just progressing, get better and better and better and better and more consistent, just like Daniel. I bet you Daniel, when he was picked out of these slaves, and he just kind of starts getting set aside and set aside and set aside, and he's like, all right, I'm getting... I mean, I'm getting picked above all these other guys who are leaders. And then we see him above almost the entire kingdom. And then we see him where he has to start all the way over, and he just stands out from everybody. I mean, Daniel just could not not stand out. People saw this leadership in him, and they were always drawn to it. And so pride wasn't even a factor here. I mean, I'm sure you could make an argument for pride with Michael Jordan, but we see Daniel always... I mean, trusting in God when he's thrown into the lion's den, pride wasn't in the way. He wasn't going to try and, I mean, protect himself. Obviously, he had to turn, but pride's never even a question. I, I never, I read through Daniel, and I don't even see a hint of him trying to turn to himself. He always turns to other people. He doesn't stand up and uh, try and, like, be like, all right, you know, I can interpret this dream if you just ask me. People, like his, I don't know how you'd say... What am I looking for? His reputation preceded him. That's what it was. 
and that he built up such a good reputation that he didn't even have to make his argument anymore. It was just, we turn to all these other people, and they always fall, and then they turn to Daniel, and every single time he comes through. So he builds his reputation, and he just does what he, he goes about his daily business, and uh, he stands out. So pride's out of the way. Humbleness took over him, and consistency is what led his life. This is the the most accurate, the, the verse that I thought of instantly when I was doing this message, but I didn't know where to put it in. But this is where I find it, in Second uh, Timothy. And it's uh, 4-7. And this is the athlete that I'm striving to be. I don't know about you guys. But he talks about Paul, and he's like, I'm, I'm probably going to die pretty soon. But he says, like, uh, my life is an offering on God's altar. And then he says this, which is one of my favorite verses. This is the only race worth running. I've run hard right to the finish, believed all the way. But the NIV is, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. So I really, I really hope to be able to say that one day. I definitely don't want to be the athlete where God says, I couldn't even use you because you were going your own way all the time. I really don't want to be the athlete that tries doing everything by myself and doesn't get a lot accomplished. I mean, sure, I might have good moments every now and then, but what if? I don't ever want that what if factor. But the role player and the lead are two athletes that are really, really, I mean, you can, you can be either one of them. There's nothing wrong with that. But this, this athlete is like the athlete God longs for, this one that is consistent, this one that's humble, this one that doesn't, he doesn't have his own pride in the way. This is the athlete that I really wanted to focus on because I can't, I honestly can't say that I don't think that I'm at this stage yet. I'm, 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 I'm a little consistent. I'm getting better. I'm pretty humble, but pride is still a big problem in my life. I mean, ego steps in every now and then, not on a very rare occasion either. But Daniel, man, his life was consistent, with, lined up with what God wanted. He didn't have a problem asking for help. He just did everything the right way. He wasn't perfect still. But this is the athlete that I want to be. I don't know about you guys. So I went through all of these different athletes, all these different races. And it, what is really beautiful about it all is it comes down to move. What we were talking about, we've been talking about this whole year, is just moving, 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 all these different aspects of it. And this is where all these athletes are different. They're moving, but how fast, which direction? All of them are so specific. And I mean, that's what I love so much about them. That D. Brown, he was moving. He was moving in the wrong direction. I mean, he ran a race that's, well, he, at least right now, he, I think he's running in the wrong direction. And then you see Wilt Chamberlain. He ran his race like Samson. He was running in the wrong direction for a lot of the time. And that what if factor, what if he would have turned and ran the right race? But I don't want that one either. And then Reggie, he turned, and he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Right now, he's running the way he's supposed to be running. That's where I see myself in that I definitely could say I was doing the wrong thing for a long time. And finally, I'm being able to see that this is not the right way to run. I want to move, but I want to move the right way. But this is the athlete that I think we should all strive for. Sure, we get the nice picture of Michael Jordan. Yeah, he's great. But Daniel, man, that's like the athlete. And the way that he was running, the way he was moving is the way that I want to move. Ultimately, Christ, though, is our ultimate athlete. 
I don't have an athlete that I can relate him to. Sadly enough, nobody stacks up to him. Nobody has played a, uh, in basketball or football that has completed every pass, made every shot, won every game, because that's Jesus. Jesus is the athlete that has always moved in the right direction, never lost a game. He was humble, man. He was consistent. Pride was not an issue. This is the ultimate athlete. So we can strive to be Jesus, this final athlete, kind of the unprecedented fifth athlete. That's who we're striving for. But which athlete do you actually find yourself in right now? That's what this, that's the only reason that I went over this is we went over last week. I don't know if you guys got your sheets, actually filled them out. That where are you at right now? How are you moving? And that's kind of this message was a follow-up, not really planned. But how are you moving? And a lot of these different things in your personal devotions, witnessing, all these different things that we always talk about. None of us are at that stage where we can say, I'm trying to be Jesus, or I'm, I am Jesus. I am consistent in every way. My pride is not a factor. I am so humble. My goodness. None of us are at that stage. But this movement, I love the word move so much now. I mean, just all this year is like different, every different way that you can record different things and see different things. It totally it opened up a new window to me. So where do you guys find yourself? Too prideful for God to use you? Maybe not too prideful. God can use you every now and then. You're actually doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're a role player, and you're doing what God tells you to do. Or even in the church, being a role player, doing what others tell you. Or are you trying to be this breakout kind of athlete that's moving all the time and doing what's right? I mean, no matter what, I mean, you're consistent. Pride's not an issue. Are you that kind of athlete? Or which one are you striving for? So that's kind of what I want to talk to you guys about. I want to pray for you guys. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much for this night that we just get to uh, uh, talk about something that relates so well to you, just that you were an athlete. I mean, people don't talk about you being an athlete, but you ran a race, and you were perfect. All these different things that we talked about tonight, you were consistent. And God, that's what I want to be one day. I don't... I mean, I'm not there yet. I'm an athlete. I'm running, but I don't think I'm running exactly the way I should be. I pray for all these guys here. I don't know where they're at, which way they're running, uh, which kind of athlete they are. But I just pray that however you are using them, just that you would build up this humbleness in us, that uh, this consistency, get this pride out of the way so that we can run this race perfect, that uh, we would be building up to be this perfect athlete. But I pray you just show us where we're at right now, and show us how to get to this perfect stage. None of us are there right now, but Jesus, I just pray that one day we would be able to say we have actually ran the race, and it was a good race. I mean, we trained hard, and that we're finally there where you want us to be. I just pray all these things in Jesus' oh, just awesome name. Amen. Slipping, slipping, slipping